Welcome to Reveal Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read the first 13 verses, and by the grace of God, maybe we will see that 13th verse before we're through today. So starting in verse number 1, it reads like this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now being revealed by the Spirit, to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given to me by the effective working of his power, to me who am less than the least of all the saints that was given, that grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Father, this morning we lift our hearts to you to worship you through our fellowship, our singing, our time together as we had a parent-child dedication, Father, and now as we open your word and study it. So, Father, I ask this of you, the least of your preachers, to make little of me and much of you, that today you may be seen for the God that you are. Today, Father, let us glorify you through this time together. This we pray in the name of your precious Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. See if I can put all this together in my head. For those of you who teach Sunday school or have ever had the opportunity to preach, it's an interesting thing. You look and say, well, pastor, you spend about 30 minutes, 45 minutes in my case, preaching on a Sunday morning. Just how hard can it be? I'll be honest with you, my wife can attest to this. I've struggled with this all week long for within my head, I had a whole nother direction that this passage should go because there's only one interpretation of any passage, but there's many applications of a passage. And in my heart and in my mind, I had another place that this should go. And I'll be honest with you, it was in my heart and my mind because of some certain circumstances and situations that are going on within our body. And it was pointed in that direction in my mind because of how this passage spoke to those things. You see, because it's a desire of my heart for our body here at Moore's Creek to be perfect and righteous and holy in the sight of God. For that's our purpose. It's to show God for who he is. And my heart and my mind were driven to those things each time I studied this. And last night I went to bed. Going to re- yesterday rework this sermon. And Wendy looked at me as I went to bed. And she said, so have you got your sermon ready? I said, nope. 
going to bed. That's what I did. I got up this morning knowing I had the sermon prepared that I wanted to do, but God just wouldn't let off of me last night for some reason. For some reason, God saw fit to make it a restless night for me so that I would wake up this morning and understand He had a different purpose in today. So today, we're going to continue our walk through this third chapter that we started last week, where, or two weeks, three weeks ago, I guess. I didn't preach last week. Three weeks ago, we started it. And it's this passage where Paul is about to go into a prayer for the church. He's about to pray for this church that for two chapters, he's been giving them the theology of what it means to be a Christian. How you were saved, that it's all by God. The fact that you were set apart, the fact that you were redeemed from a life of sin, the fact that it was all done through Jesus' death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection give you hope in the future and you're partakers in that, you're an heir to all that Christ has. And for two chapters, he's just been going through this theology that's so difficult for us to sit and listen to. We would much rather take a parable because it's nice and short and sweet and we can leave feeling good or, or feeling convicted by it. But theology is something that's a little bit difficult. But if you don't have that theology of where you came from, you don't know where you're going. And that's what Paul was saying to them as he was, he was giving them that theology. And he got to this chapter 3 as he was going to pray for this church. And he started off, if you remember, and he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of, of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Remember we talked about the fact he didn't say he was a prisoner of the Jews. Now the Jews wanted him in prison because of the message he was preaching, this mystery message. He wasn't a prisoner of the Romans. The Romans wanted him locked up because of the social unrest that he was causing and what he was preaching. He wasn't even a prisoner of himself because he he had done some stupid things, if you remember. He decided he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to go preach to the, to the Jews, even though the Holy Spirit was saying, don't do that. He, he didn't say he was a prisoner of Jews, didn't say he was a prisoner of Romans, didn't say he was a prisoner of himself. He said he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Look at that picture. We talked about it for two weeks. He looked at Jesus as the author and perfecter of his faith. He looked at Jesus as the head of the church. But more importantly, look to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Jesus controlled his heart. Jesus captured him first long before they ever closed him in a cell. Paul was excited about the fact that Jesus captured him. Remember where Paul came from. Paul came from doing very bad things to Christians. Murder, in fact. Persecution to those Christians. And he starts off here and he says, I Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Really what he's saying is he's the prisoner of that mystery. That's point number one. Point number two is he was a preacher of that mystery. A preacher of that mystery. We see that in the second verse when he says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. See, Paul starts with this emphatic statement, If you heard. We look at it in our translations and we say, Does that mean some had and some had not? No. In the Greek, it's an emphatic statement, really better translated, Since you have heard. What Paul said is, for two chapters, I wrote to you about this mystery. And since you have heard that mystery, let me tell you a little something about it. And that's where he's launching to. See, he wasn't questioning whether or not they had heard. He was actually saying that you have heard. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have heard. And see, Paul reminds them that he was this steward of grace. See, in your translation, you may have that word dispensation that you heard me read out of mind. You may have the word steward. There are several English words we could have used for that. But what it really is probably best understood by is a stewardship of this ministry. 
See, Paul understood this fact that this gospel, this mystery, had captured his heart. And now he was put in place to be a steward of that gospel, that mystery. He was put in place to to go out and share that good news. And if you remember how Paul met Jesus... See, Paul was one of the disciples, but he wasn't one of those original disciples. He was, he was a disciple and apostle, basically, put in place later because of a special relationship that he had with Jesus. You see, Paul traveled all over the region persecuting those Jew, non-Jewish Christians, those Gentiles, those, those Gentiles that dared say that they had a God that was the same God as the Jews. For the Jews thought that It was all through the circumcision and through the law and through the bloodline that put you in a relationship with God. But Paul was out defending that against those Gentiles and said, no, it's, it's a gift of God. It's the grace of God that we too can hear this message. We too can be saved. You're here this morning because of that message. I would dare say if I was to hold a place, I may not have a Jew present with me. We're all Gentiles. And Paul was out persecuting those who had the audacity to say that this was their God when they weren't a Jew. He was to the point of killing those to actually murdering, to being a part of that murder. Remember the guys in the Bible, especially the one named Stephen. They murdered those guys for their beliefs. Paul was a part of that. Yet he was on this road to Damascus where he had gone and he had gotten this letter from the governor to go into Damascus. And if he found anybody that was of the way, which is what they called those Gentile Christians, the way of Jesus. If he found anybody that was of the way to persecute them, to bring them back and put them into prison. And if they didn't want to come to kill them, that was what he was doing. He was on this road to Damascus with hatred on his breath, with murder on his mind. And suddenly... This light appears. He falls to his face. And Jesus speaks to him. Jesus asks him, who who are you persecuting? Why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus understood it to be personal. He wasn't just persecuting the people. He was persecuting Jesus. And when Paul got up from being on his knees before The Lord, as he called him, as he came to know him in that moment, he was blinded. He couldn't see a thing. The men that were with him were trying to figure out what was going on because they didn't see the light. They only heard the voice. These guys were baffled. They take Paul to where they're heading. For three days, Paul sits blinded in this house. He sits waiting until God moves a man by the name of Ananias. God goes to Ananias and says, there is this man, Saul of Tarsus, as he was known before his name was changed, and you need to go see him. And if you remember Ananias' response was, hold on a second, I know you're God, but do you remember what this guy does to people like me? There are Gentiles that believe in you. You want me to go see the guy who murders people like me? (laughs) Yet God speaks to his heart, and Ananias does just that, and he shows up at this house, and he lays hands on Paul, and he prays for him. And the scripture says that these scales fell off of his eyes. Over in Acts 9, if you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, Acts 9, verse 17, we see the end of this, this engagement, this, this time between Ananias and, and Saul. And verse 17 of chapter 9 of Acts says this, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, 
There's a lot to be said about him calling him Brother Saul. He was saying that I am of the same God as you. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight. Number one, he was there that he may receive his sight. Number two, he says, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias laid his hands on Paul and he prayed for him. And it says this, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. See, this Paul that writes to the Ephesians and through the Ephesians to the other churches and by extension to us, was this Paul, this Saul, the murderer, Saul of Tarsus, that was converted to Paul, the preacher, the preacher of this mystery. And see, just as surely as the scales fell from his eyes, he can see at this same moment, the scales fell from the mystery that he's about to preach. You see, because there was this mystery that had been here since the beginning of time. And what exactly is a mystery anyway? What I think about those books that were written, Agatha Christie and the movies that you go see about mysteries. But what is a mystery really? I guess the simplest definition of a mystery is a mystery is something that was once hidden and is now revealed. And that's the way Paul talks about this mystery. Matter of fact, in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3, if you'll fit, flip back towards Ephesians, and right before you get there, you'll run into the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. He says this. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore noted only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, so look at what he's writing. He's saying there was this gospel preached to Abraham that Abraham believed it was counted as righteousness. And God knew even at that time when only the Jews were given the opportunity to believe that he would save the Gentiles. That's what he's saying. He goes on to say in the end of verse 8, he says, Abraham beforehand saying, in you all nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Even all the way back to the days of Abraham, if you remember, God proclaimed that one day all nations, including the Gentiles, would come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, would have the opportunity to be a part of the body, would have the Savior die upon a cross for their sins, all the way back to Abraham. I have people come to me all the time and say, Pastor Roger, you say it's, uh, it's, it's by faith uh, through the grace of God that you're, that you're saved. And you say it's that faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how did the ones in the Old Testament get saved? The exact same way. There is not two ways of salvation. There is one. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the Messiah hanging on the cross. We, the New Testament saints, look back at the exact same cross, the exact same Savior who died the exact same death, was buried and rose again for us exactly the same way. Even when that gospel was preached to Abraham, it was pointing to Jesus on the cross. Just as you hear in the gospel today, points back at Jesus on the cross. It's all through faith in Jesus. And it says that Abraham believed what God had to say and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This righteousness was accounted to him. You see, Abraham believed. And because he believed, all the nations would be blessed 
Those nations were both Jew and Gentile. How were they blessed? That's the question that always comes to my mind. When I say it says they're going to be blessed, how then will they be blessed? Stay in that same chapter. Flip over to verse 26. Please go home and read between these two. I don't have time to go over it all this morning. But in verse 26, it says this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Emphatic statement. Emphatic statement that comes from what Abraham was told, comes from what we're told in the New Testament about Jesus. Emphatic statement that you are all sons of God through one way, that's faith in Christ Jesus. He moves on to say, for as many as you, uh, of you as were baptized into Christ have been put on, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, or if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. You see what he's saying? There's one faith in one Savior, one body, and we're all part of it. For two chapters in Ephesians, Paul's been laying out this theology of the oneness. The oneness in Christ. The oneness that we are with each other, both Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male, female. All one. And he's been pointing to that the whole time. So he's a preacher, a preacher of that mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery is that salvation is not just of the Jews. Salvation is the Gentiles also. It is for all. And it all is belief, faith in Jesus Christ. So we see Paul as a prisoner of the mystery. We see him as a preacher of mystery. But you know there's also a plan to this mystery back in the Ephesians chapter 3. Back in Ephesians chapter 3, in verse uh, 3, as he comes out of the second verse there, where he says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. He made known to me the mystery. Paul reminds him that this mystery was not revealed in ages past. In ages past, it was worked through the Jews through their system, through the laws, and the Jews rejected Jesus. The Jews rejected God, ultimately, because of their rejection of Jesus. So God continued the plan as it was set forth all along, for there to be preaching to the Gentiles, for there to be those within the Gentiles that would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You see, Paul saw past himself as a Jew, as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he looked into the hearts of those around him, whether they be Jew or Gentile. He didn't care about their color, their race, their gender, their place in society. He didn't care about where they lived. He didn't care about where they worked. He cared about their heart. See, Paul looked past all of that. Being the Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Jew that was raised up and trained in the system, he understood the system was broke. He understood that Jesus didn't come to those who did everything right. He come for those who did everything wrong. See, we as a church sometimes get so caught up in how to do things right. We worry about what color we're going to paint a wall or put down a piece of carpet or 
what we're going to do in this Sunday school classroom or what's the pastor going to ask me to do next that I don't want to do or how are we going to rearrange the service or why aren't we doing this anymore? And God doesn't care. Quit worrying about what you do on the outside and worry about what's on the inside. See, what you do on the outside should come from a heart that loves Jesus. And do you think it really makes a difference to Jesus what color that wall is? Do you really think it makes a difference to Jesus whether I wear a suit or whether I wear a t-shirt when I preach the word? For some of you, if I showed up in blue jeans and a t-shirt to preach, I'd be hung out in the front by the deacon body. But does it matter to Jesus? Jesus wants you saved. Jesus wants you to know what he did upon a cross for your sins. Now, will I show up in a t-shirt and blue jeans and preach? No. You know why? Because I love you enough not to put anything between you and the gospel. If there's something I do or something I can do to remove something that causes Satan to get in your heart and you to be challenged by that thing and keep you from seeing the gospel, I'll remove it at all costs to me. The reason being is because it's more important for me for you to know my Jesus than for me to dress however I want to dress or wear whatever I want to wear or sit wherever I want to sit or you to be comfortable and me not be, none of that matters. If you'll just see my Jesus, that's all that matters. And that's what Paul's saying about this, this mystery. He's saying in times past it wasn't revealed. In time past, they saw themselves as the people of God, the Jews did. And they saw the Gentiles as less than human, in all honesty. They saw them as a lesser person. They distanced themselves from the Gentiles. If you remember, we even saw back in the second chapter where Paul says, because of what has been done, the wall of separation has been removed. Remember that wall of separation we talked about? It was significant. It was symbolic of that wall of fabric that hung in the temple. That wall of fabric that hung in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from just the holy place. Yet as you moved out of the temple, there was another wall, another wall that separated the inner court from the outer court where the Jewish women and children would have to stop. If you continued to move out of the sanctuary further into the yard, you ran into another wall, and that wall was where the Gentiles had to stop. It was completely outside of the worship area. Paul said, just as when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain hanging in the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom, to signify that you had access to God? He said, because of this mystery, that wall of the Gentiles has been removed. You now have access to God. Not through the rituals of the day, but through Christ Jesus, who died on a cross for your sins. He said this mystery has now been revealed in verse 5. He says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, but it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. You see, the Holy Spirit, when he came to indwell those who came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, revealed to them their ability to be in the presence of God without an intercessor, without a priest, without a religious ceremony. He revealed to them that they were children of God. And what father wouldn't give access to his son or daughter? What father would keep them locked outside of the house because they weren't worthy? No. Heard a story recently about a man who was having a big board meeting in a company he owned. And 
There's always been instruction given that no one came into the board meeting once the door was shut. Said as they were doing the board meeting, they looked and a little face appeared in the window of the door outside and it was his daughter. And he got up and he opened the door and said, why were you outside? She says, Daddy, I know the, the rule. Nobody comes into the board meeting once it started. He says, you come in anytime you want because you're my daughter. You're welcome anytime because you're my child. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit reveals to us through Paul's writing. You're welcome to the throne of grace anytime. Because you're one of the children. See, because of this mystery, we're now made part of the family of God. If you remember back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, he tells us that in him we also have attained an inheritance in this family. That spoke of our, our legal position. Our legal position with, with God, with the family, was we were heirs. Legally in our earthly families... Even if we're adopted into that family, legally we are heirs to all that that mother and father have. We're legally able to partake of those things. And what Paul writes in that first chapter of Ephesians is you are an heir to all that God has. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 19, he writes, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says we're not only heirs legally, Everything's available to us. But he says that we are members. We're in this member's position in the body. I like to look at a member's position in a body as life. Look at your physical body. Your physical body has many members, yet one body. Each of those members contains life. When life quits flowing through an arm, the arm dies, doesn't it? Most times it's amputated, it's taken off. Each member of your body has this life that flows through it. Where does that life come from? the heart and what Paul is saying is God is our heart he's the center of it all and his life flows through us the members of this body then back to Ephesians 3 chapter 6 it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same bodies and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel he says we're not only heirs to all that God has, we're not only members of the body with his very lifeblood flowing through us, but he says we're partakers of his promise. Did you realize this morning God had made you a promise? And that you're a partaker of that promise? Do you know what that promise is? It says it right there in verse 6, the second part. Partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. See, God made you a partaker of the gospel through what Christ did upon the cross. The gospel is that God loved you so much that he hung upon a cross in the form of his son for your sins. Sinless, he died for the sinful. Being in control of all, he humbled himself to be the least of all. To die for your sins. But he didn't stay dead. He was removed from that cross and buried in a tomb. And three days later, that tomb was found to be empty. Why? Because the promise is that you are saved through faith in what Christ did upon a cross. And that you have a future through what he did by not staying in that grave. You see, this morning we were talking about Miss Joyce going home to be with the Lord. Do you know why she's in the presence of the Lord? Because she knew Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. 
And she believed that he hung upon a cross for her sins, was buried in a tomb, and rose three days later and was awaiting her arrival. And today, she stands in the presence of that Savior. Today, she sees him face to face. No more through the lens of tinted glasses. But she sees his beautiful face. What's the promise for you, church? That if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. You will not have just what this earth offers. You will be an heir to all of God's belongings. His peace, His comfort, His possessions. But more importantly, salvation provided through His Son, Jesus Christ. He promises that we will be in His presence one day at a place called heaven. A place that right now, Jesus is building your room. He's making your place. He promises that one day we will see Him face to face for all of eternity. But you know, every good promise has a bad side to it. And there is a bad side to this promise. See, for if you choose not to believe Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a place promised for you also. And that place is a place called hell. It says it's of eternal heat. It's of eternal damnation. It's a place where it's gnashing of teeth and you forever suffer. As much as I believe that God is a God of love and loves us all, I also believe that God is a just God. And God tells us that if we refuse Him, He will refuse us. That if you choose not to place your faith in what his son did upon a cross, but you choose to live life your way, betting that what you're going to do is going to have eternity for you, it will have eternity. What you choose to do away from God will give you an eternity. And it's eternity in a place called hell. What makes hell hell? I think what really makes hell hell is the absence of God. You see, because God is love. God is peace. God is our strength. God is the one that provides the daylight that you see, the food that you eat, the air that you breathe. When you extract all of that from your world, what do you have left? Torment. And you see, if you choose not to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are choosing a place called hell. And see, this mystery that we just started on this morning is a mystery that's been revealed to us, the Gentiles. It's saying it's not of manly works. It's not of this, this circumcision of the flesh. It's but of circumcision of the heart that comes through knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not of this washing of the hands as you worship. It's the washing of the heart through the blood of Jesus Christ flowing from the cross. It's not church of your attendance on Sunday morning in this place because you feel like this is where you're supposed to be. It's your attendance in this place because you get the opportunity to worship your almighty God with your brothers and sisters. See, it's not about the things you do. It's about why you do those things. Those things should be done from a heart that's been cleansed by the blood of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the start of this mystery. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. 
Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.